So today's scripture uh, is found in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 22. should pop up behind me too. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 22. Uh, Fear the Lord. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask, ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you as their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we um, thank you for who you are. Father, we are, we're reminded this morning with worship that you are such a good, good father. And so, Father, we come to you, um, your people, Father, that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to know you. And so, Father, we ask now that you be with us, that you um, remind us of your goodness through uh, the words that will be spoken through Craig. Father, would you be with him and be a light for your glory and for your honor. And so, Father, we pray all of these things in your most beautiful name. Amen. Good morning. So glad that we're all here. Uh, this morning, we're actually um, concluding our ser- sermon series on Tell Us. We've been in the book of Deuteronomy for the past five weeks. So thank you for sticking with us. You're probably like, Deuteronomy is such a boring book. But it's actually so interesting and fascinating. So thanks so much for sticking, sticking it out with us. Um, I remember... Uh, in high school, during the summers of high school, I would um, work for a friend of mine who owned a construction company. And um, he would come in the morning, get me up in the morning, buy breakfast for myself, his brothers who were my age, and we'll go, you know, to the house to go start working on houses. And, you know, in the beginning it was fun. We were demolishing uh, uh, bathrooms, breaking down sheetrock, and that was so much fun. Then the real work started when we had to start picking all the dirt up, when we, start, when we had to start putting in sheetrocks, new sheetrock. And everyone realized very quickly that Craig was just not competent <laughs> with handiwork. It was so clear. I was the lazy one. I was the tired one. Um, I was the one... If someone, if they ask me, what was the Phillips, can you get me a Phillips screwdriver? I'd be like, huh? I don't, I don't know what you, what, what is that? Um, I was that guy. 
And um, yeah, I did it just for a couple of summers, and I realized, like, never again, I'm done. I'll work in an office. But you know, I, I say that story to say this, that oftentimes, when it comes to Christianity, we don't know, we feel incompetent in the way of Jesus. We feel incompetent as to what is required of us in following Jesus. We often hear the big lofty things like love God, obey God, do this, do that. And then we're like, what does that look like practically? We have no clue. Now in this passage, Moses wants to make that clear. He wants to make that clear for the people of Israel. Again, he's He's uh, giving his farewell address before he, uh, uh, before he dies and even as they enter into a new land. He's giving them this farewell address. So he says this. He says, what does God require of you? What does God require of you? And he lists kind of these four things. Awe. He says, fear the Lord. That means be in awe of him. Obedience, love, and service. What, did, what does God require of you? Awe, obedience, law, and service. Now, if you read this outside of its immediate context, this God probably sounds unappealing to you. He sounds needy. He sounds demanding. But even as we look deeply, we see something else. You see that these requirements are not a result of a God who is demanding servitude because of power dynamics, because he's God, so, you know, serve me. It's in fact the opposite. These requirements are precipitated by something far more beautiful, far more wonderful, far more worthwhile. These are requirements that are precipitated by his love and affection for his people. That is the motivation factor, or that should be the motivational factor for us to follow God, is that he loves us. In in, in verse 15 of the passage we just read, it said, Yet the Lord set his affection... And loved them and chose you above all the nations. That is the motivational factor for following after God. So this means this. Our obedience to God is only as feasible as our awareness of his love. Because when his love is not our motivational or motivating factor, it not only loses its fervor, but our obedience is not strong. It's not, it's not, we will not be able to sustain it. Because at the end, we become legalists. Or we just forget about it. But once his love is our motivational factor, it, it moves us to follow God. It moves us to follow Jesus. And this is what Moses here is telling them. This is what one scholar writes. He says, the events of the present moment and of the past, we're grounded essentially in God's love. And it was on this basis, on the basis of God's prior love, that Moses advocated love as a requirement for the people. 
So God requiring awe, God requiring obedience, God requiring service. All that means is that God is requiring us to love him, to follow him. And the only way we can truly love him is that we are aware of his love for us. So in the next couple of minutes, I want to talk about then how can we love him? How is God calling us to love him? What are some practical ways that we can love Jesus? And this is something we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks in a new sermon series. Three things for us to remember. To love God, we connect upwards, we connect inwards, and we connect outwards. Connect up, connect in, connect out. Let's start with the first one, connect up. Moses in the passage directs our attention to God using these like high reverential language, right? It describes God not only as the proprietor of the world, but one who actually sits above it, one who is God over all. It says God of gods, Lord of lords. He uses this high language. And the whole idea is that God is absolutely unique, different. He's Another way of saying it, he's transcendent. He's above all. And in a modern way, you can say he is the God of the cosmos. And in doing so, what Moses is trying to do here is trying to let you see how you compare with God. God of the cosmos and little old me. How does that compare? There is no comparison. None whatsoever. One of my favorite shows, uh, science shows, called Cosmos, of course. (laughs) The Space Odyssey. Great show. Visually stunning, beautiful. I just like watching it just for the pictures. That's it. Um, Everything else is saying I don't understand what it means. But the pictures are great. (laughs) But it's interesting, though, because right away... What you notice is that they have an agenda. And one of those agendas is to discredit Christianity right away. And it's just, again, to pit Christianity against science, religion against science. And in one of those stories that it talks about, it talks about Bruno, who was a scientist that discovered that, that, that the Earth was not the center of the universe, that there are stars, there are other planets, and, you know, the church was in disarray. And in the show, what they, what they tried to tell us was they killed him, which is obviously sinful, wrong for the church to do. They killed him because of that belief, because of that cosmological point of view of this new science discovery. But the truth is, they didn't kill him for that. They killed him for something else. They killed him because his theology was wrong. He did not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. There are other things he didn't believe that they were theologically wrong. But in the show, what they're trying to tell us is, well, yeah, religion and science don't mix. And, you know, sure. I mean, if that's what people want to believe, that's, that's fine. But what that does then, it's... It, it in some ways makes, makes it feel like Christianity is not for science. Christianity is devoid of science. 
But that's not the truth. I think for us, for if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, the thing that we believe about God is that God was the one who sparked the universe into existence. That God sits above the whole entire universe, the entire cosmos. And that he brought us into existence. And, you know, we can argue all day. And that's fine. That's okay. But one, one thing we see in Scripture is that God, even as Moses described, Moses is a man who's, you know, thousands of years ago, but yet he's able to see that God sits above the highest heavens. And what he's trying to do there also, too, is also to, to, to elicit a response from us. Is that if there is this God that sparked the universe into existence, then it should cause us to worship him. It should cause us to turn our eyes upwards, to respond to this great God that has brought us into existence. But Moses does not stop there. Because I think the beautiful picture is not just about a God who is up there. It is about a God who actually reaches out to humanity, who initiates his affections and his love towards us. That's the beauty, that's the the wonder that we have in this God that if you're a Christian here, that we worship. That God is so transcendent, so above the universe and the cosmos, but yet he reaches down and chooses little old humanity, little old us, to be his children. That is the beauty. And Moses here is able to to kind of show us that God is not only unique and out there, but he's also personable and knowable. So when we encounter this God, we believe as Christians, when we encounter this God, that our inevitable response is to worship him. It's to give our lives to him. So as we connect upwards, we respond in worship. Secondly, we connect inward. There is an inward transformation that happens as well. Because once we encounter this incredible grace of God, this incredible love of God, it should cause us to ask a question. Am I worthy of this? Do I deserve this love? So when a transcendent God again chooses us, it should move us to investigate our hearts, to find out what's really going on in there. I love Psalm 139. David is writing this after this encounter with God. He, he writes us this psalm realizing that he cannot hide from God, that wherever he goes, God is there. So he says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. He is surrendering Saying, God, search my heart. Check what's happening in my heart. And test it. 
Um, last year, I went on a, a retreat um, that I, I try to do once a year. I go on an annual retreat just to be away from Caitlin. I'm just kidding. I'm not <laughs> uh, she's not here, so she didn't hear that. But just to be away, just to be away with God and just to kind of get my thoughts together, get my heart together. And one of the exercises I, uh, I did was this exercise called the mortality, embrace your mortality. And the whole idea comes from um, one of the Psalms that says, God, teach me to number my days that I may gain wisdom. And the question that it asked in this exercise, it says this, if you knew you had one week to live, what would you spend it doing? If you knew you had one week to live, what would you spend it doing? And the question haunted me because it made me realize that I would probably spend my week eating Korean food. <laughs> no, I'm serious, though. <laughs> like, what would I spend my week? I don't want to eat Korean barbecue or something. But, but, I mean, on serious note, <laughs> it also made me realize that there are some things that I'm spending my time on that is many ways just, just I don't want to say worthless, but I'm so engrossed by it, right? Like, my life is all around this one thing. Work, church, making sure church is successful. So if you ask me, oh, what is the greatest thing impacting? Oh, yeah, church. Just, you know, I, just want, I just want it to be successful. And that's really like the one thing that just... But it's like, at the end of the day, does it matter? Yeah, in some way it does. But if it's that engrossing of my life, does it matter? All that to say is that sometimes we ought to ask ourselves the tough questions. We ought to ask ourselves, what matters to you the most right now? Are you spending, overly spending too much time on it? Are there other things in your life that you can be spending, on, spending it on? One thing here that Moses says, it, t- it tells them to circumcise your hearts. Go inward. It's not about what you're doing outwardly. Your inward heart, the inward condition of your heart affects your outward behavior. Now, you, I don't know if you guys know about circumcision, but circumcision was one of those things that uh, in Scripture it writes that um, was enacted by, with, with Abraham. And the whole idea was it was an outward expression of your allegiance to God. Outward expression of your allegiance to God. But here God is saying, listen, I, I don't care what's happening. What it's your heart. Circumcise your heart. Remove the callousness in your heart. And in order to do that, we often have to ask ourselves tough questions. Another way to do that is community. It's being in community. Because what community does, it shows you a reflection of yourself. This is who you are. It lights up the condition of your life. One question 
that I, I, I actually asked Caitlin, what does it look like to be on the other side of me? You can use that as a question in your workplace. Like, Caitlin, how am I behaving that, that I'm not aware of, and how is that wrong? Or so, Just give me an idea of how I, I am towards you. And sometimes it hurts. Another time, I remember a friend, I did a, a workshop at a conference, and a friend told me, oh, yeah, that workshop was terrible. And it hurt. I'm like, oh, man, I, I put my heart, my everything into this workshop, and he tells me, that sucked. <laughs> and honestly, my initial response was, no, you're, you're whatever. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know about this subject. I know more about it than you do. That was my initial response. And then over time, I realized, yeah, that was, that was a terrible workshop. So we need community. We need people to tell us, to, to open, to give us a mirror of how we are, how we are in our marriages, how we are in our friendships. We need each other to tell us the truth about how we are. So we connect outward, connect inward, and lastly, we connect outward. In verse 18 of this passage we read, it said, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners because... For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Again, I want you to see this. The picture here that Moses is painting, it's not even just like, oh yeah, go. <laughs> go do work. Go out there. You know, I'm giving you stuff. No, the picture God is painting here is that he is a God who is absolutely unique, absolutely transcendent, yet he cares for the lowest of the lowest. The God who is so high above, the God of the cosmos, cares for the poor, for the fatherless, for the widow. He advocates for them. Again, once we are able to see that picture of love, once we're able to embrace that, wow, God is, this is, this is great. That should motivate us then. That should give us purpose to love those who are the least, who are the poor, those who are widows, those who are foreigners. And it reminds them of this fact that you yourself were once a foreigner. That's kind of stinging because uh, who knows? They probably thought, well, oh, yeah, no, we, we're great. God, we're the chosen ones. We're the blessed ones. Sounds like America, right? Like, we're chosen. We're, we're it. But then God reminds them, no, actually, no, you were actually foreigners. You were immigrants. Don't forget. And that's one of the things that I don't know if you, hopefully you've been seeing is this reminder to remember where you came from, to remember your roots, uh, at small group this past week, we were talking um, about just kind of our experiences dealing with 
um, uh, younger uh, employers or employees. So, for example, like an apprentice will come in a team and, and you know, it's just like a lot of work to, to deal with them. And, you know, I even remember that for myself, too. Like, oh, yeah, I have to deal with someone that cannot do worship really well. And I don't have the patience for it. But the thing here is that don't, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget you were once that apprentice who didn't know anything. You were once that person who started a job and you were trying to figure it all out. Don't forget your roots. Don't forget that you were once a foreigner. And in Ephesians 2.19, um, if you can turn, I don't have that in my notes. Ephesians 2.19 is the last slide. Not there. This, oh, yeah, 212, sorry. Paul said this uh, to the Christians in Ephesians. He says, remember that at, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in, in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once, you who were once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's a reminder that we were once away from God. If you're, you're here and you're a Christian, you were once not a Christian. You were once far away from God. But through his grace, he has chosen, he has brought you to faith. So we go outward God gives us purpose to go outside because, not only because of his love, but also as a, as a way, we, as we remember that we ourselves were once foreigners. We were once outside of his way and his will. So here are the three things, even as we prepare for our communion. That in order for us to truly love God, the way God is calling us to love him, just think of it in these three ways. And this is something that we, even as a church, we want to lead our people in this pathway. That we're leading each other to connect upwards, to connect to God, to connect inward, to connect in community, and to connect outward. That as we follow him in these paths, in this path, that we can truly love God well. Amen? I'm going to call the uh, team as we uh, begin communion. As we are reminded today of even what Christ has done for us, that he himself has brought us here, that he has helped us to know this path, that he himself was a foreigner and an immigrant in this world. But he did this so that we can be accepted in to the grace of God. So I'm going to pray, and as the team comes up, um, we'll take communion together. Let's pray. God, I, I pray today that even as 
you are calling us to this life. You're calling us to the life of a disciple, to follow after you. I pray, God, that you help us, you guide us along this path to respond in worship, to look inwardly at our hearts and how you are moving us to be better people and to go outward into our world, into our city, to our neighbors, to demonstrate your love. So I pray you help us even now as we take part in the communion, this significant act of sacrifice, as we remember what you've done for us, God. I pray that you, even now more than ever, you will help us to love you, to give our hearts, to give all of, our, all of who we are to you. In Jesus' name, say